Everything F1, driven by fans for the fans. EF1 podcast. This is the Everything F1 podcast. Today we preview the Monaco Grand Prix, and we have a special guest, Ed Straw. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. Today on my team, we've got Sponge and we've got Sasha. Say hi, guys. How are you doing? Hey. Good, thanks. How's everyone? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you very much. How about you, Sponge? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, yeah. Good, busy week? Oh, yeah, very busy. Have you serviced any Ferraris this week? Oh, yes. You've yes. serviced some Ferraris this week. What, <laughs> what about some Maseratis? Yeah. Even more Maseratis than Ferraris at the moment. Mm. They're all they're all with problems, but there we go. No, oh, never mind. Eh? <laughs> what a nice problem to have, though, eh? It's, uh, yeah. Working on those cars all day. Don't forget to like all of our social media channels. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And don't forget YouTube. We're at JoinEF1. And, of course, our website, www.everythingf1.com. Uh, and I'd like to introduce you to our special guest for the week. We've got Ed Straw. Uh, you might know him as a journalist for The Race, for, for a few other magazines and newspapers. Uh, hi, Ed. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, thanks very much for uh, having me on. Okay, so obviously I, I know who you are and so do our, do our team, but for the uninitiated out there, who exactly are you and why are we so interested in having you on our show today? Well, the second question, I've got no idea, but uh, <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you be the judge of your own uh, motivations. But yeah, I'm a freelance Formula One journalist. Yeah, I do a lot of stuff for the race, bits and pieces for Racer, the odd piece for Autocar. So I turn up here and there. So yeah, I've been doing motorsport journalism for quite a long time. I was at Autosport for, uh, for many years uh, for the first well, I've saved first part for about 17, 18 years. So, uh, wow. Yeah, been been hanging around for a while. Yes, well, as I say, we, we all know we've we've seen your articles uh, certainly uh, floating around the place there. Um, sorry, I had a, a notification come up and it made a very loud noise. Um, yeah, so we do know who you are um, and that's why we're here to talk about uh, your career to date so far. But first, we're going to head into a Monaco race preview because this is the race that we've got coming up at the weekend. So... We'll go to you first, Ed. What is so special about the Monaco Grand Prix? Well, I think it's just the fact it's so ridiculous. It was a <laughs> it was a fairly stupid idea when they started the race, but Formula One has outgrown it. Grand Prix racing has outgrown it more and more over time. So mm. yes, it's it's a processional race, but as a one-off, it's just a unique driving challenge, which is just great to to see. I wouldn't like there to be two of them on the calendar, but it's just a, a completely unique race and although I'm personally not one for the the off-track stuff and all the glitz and glamour and the and the the yachts and that kind of thing that's great for mm -hmm. F1 and a lot of people like that but I just love the the driving challenge and I'm very very fortunate to be able to watch drivers in action up close there sort of standing centimeters away behind barriers in probably slightly uh, questionable places so <laughs> I, I just love it yeah yeah it sounds exciting sounds exciting as you say it like that um uh, and how many years have you been going to to Monaco is this like your 20th Monaco Grand Prix Do you, have you kept a count not uh, not quite that long so I've I'll have done yeah more than a decade's worth I started covering Formula One full-time in 2008 so 
Um, I've done pretty much all of them since then. So yeah, wow. uh, but it, it's always it always feels new because when you just like the drivers have to kind of tune themselves in. When you first watch the cars, I always try and go out and watch in first practice. Mm-hmm. You just sort of have to remind yourself what it's like there in the close confines of the circuit. It is too small, and yet the drivers do amazing things around there. They do. Uh, it is a small circuit, isn't it, Sasha? Um, the cars these days are huge in comparison to what they were all those years ago when it was maybe a bit more wheel-to-wheel. What are your opinions on the Monaco Grand Prix? Yeah, it's definitely a small track, tiny little minuscule places these cars have to get around, and you can kind of see why there's no, well, barely any overtakes at this race. Um, as you said, it's probably not the most exciting race on the calendar, but I think, um, like Ed said, the glitz and the glam is what appeals to a lot of people. Um, I know for sure out of my friends that don't necessarily keep in touch with F1, they don't follow it. They're always, that's the first race they think of. So it's just, um, it is the top dog really when when you don't necessarily know F1. But I think as F1 fans, we know that it's not the top dog really. <laughs> yeah, it's it's called the jewel in the crown. Uh so it it really is more for the more for the diamonds and the and the pearls rather than the, the actual racing on track itself. Um, Sponge, let's go to you. You've got you've obviously got an opinion on Monaco. Uh, do you like it on the calendar? You, I know you have uh, extreme thoughts sometimes. <laughs> no, I'm I'm following the crowd here. I love it. I think it's great. Okay. I, I do love it. I love I love the all of the corner names. They're just if you go through all of the the corner names at Monaco, it's just it's like. I don't know, it's like stick them in lyrics to a, a symphony or something. It's brilliant. It just flows really well. Yeah. But I do I do think if they carry on extending it out into the into the sea, they're gonna end up in Corsica soon. <laughs> but I, I do maintain to this day that Monaco is the only track that, that drivers go around and they make the same that noise as the engine. So literally like <laughs> until they hit the wall and then they're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there might be a bit, a bit of hit in the wall uh, this weekend. We're probably expecting. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. We're probably expecting it from one driver in particular, but it, well, maybe we're being a bit too cruel um, because he's finished the last couple of races, hasn't he? So we can't really say too much about Voldemort, as some people are calling him. Uh, he who shall not, shall not be named. Uh, Massapin, let, let's start because we'll, we'll start. From the back of the grid, then, are we expecting Mazepin to do well this weekend? Are you expecting him to finish the race, Ed? Well, I think that'll be his uh, his objective. He's been—I don't necessarily want to say disappointing, but given the mileage he has and what he's done in the junior formula, it's not a megastar, but has been capable in in F two and F three. I've been a little bit underwhelmed with what he's done. He, he should have the experience to be doing better. So it's it's a, been a tough time for him. But yeah, for him, it's going to be a question of get round, chip away on your pace and and make sure you're you're there at the end. Obviously, it's not encouraging when you look at the last race and he was, <laughs> I think it was his first flying lap, he was uh, he was in the gravel. Um, so he's, yeah, it's not, it's really not coming coming together for him. And yeah, understandably, he's getting uh, an enormous amount of, uh, of criticism for it. But it's it's tough for rookies. Uh, all the rookies are having uh, difficulties to a greater or, or lesser extent. But yeah. yeah, Monaco, where you're not really comfortable with the car, you're not really in tune with it, you're not on top of it, and you're trying to play catch-up, is not a, a great place to be. But with the amount of mileage he's had, done work with Mercedes in the past, Force India, I'd expected him to be, not a superstar, but I'd expected him to kind of be competent and solid from the start, which he hasn't quite been. Yeah, do, do, we we are laying this a lot of on a lot on his shoulders, um, which uh, 
rightfully or wrongly, he's had a, a bad kind of entrance to the sport. Um, is it him or is it the car? Because the car is such a dog anyway. But Mick is doing a kind of a better job uh, in that car. So I don't know. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think Mick Schumacher shows what you can do with the right approach. He's working through methodically, chipping away at it. And he's getting some quite good uh, quite good mentions that you hear on the, the commentary on Sky Sports F1. You get people mm-hmm. like Martin Rundle picking out that he's doing a good job, and, and he is doing a, a, a decent job. So I think that's the kind of template Mazepin needs to aspire to. But th- there's been a little bit too much of, of Mazepin not quite working in such a smooth way with the team and being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Sometimes he's been a little bit unfortunate with some of those qualifying uh, blocking things. Sometimes he hasn't made the, the best decisions. Um, so... Mm. All you can do in a house is kind of keep quiet and chip away, which is what Mick Schumacher is doing. Yeah. So, yeah, there's something for something for Mazepin to learn from there. Yeah, there is. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with you there. Um, well, let's move on to uh, the Williams then. We're, we're, we're guessing the Williams is the next slowest, but I, I don't want to say that because I've got a soft spot for Williams, uh, as probably a couple of us do here, um, being such a, an iconic team that they are. Uh, they're racing in their 750th race. Uh, in Formula One this weekend, so that's a a milestone that they're going to uh, enjoy, hopefully. And there's going to be, uh, I don't know, some kind of celebration over the weekend. Are you looking forward to seeing the Williams perform, Sasha, this weekend? Yeah, definitely. I think um, you know the Williams. All of us, like you said, probably do have a bit of a soft spot for them. They're a great British team. Um, I would love to see them get back to their former glory days. But um, with George Russell in the car. I mean, the most that they can get at the moment is what he get, get, gets out of the car. And he's been performing mm-hmm. pretty well. I mean, he's had a few unlucky spells. and But if he could get into Q3 this weekend, could you imagine the celebrations they would have? That would just be the cherry on top of the cake. I think that would make my Monaco Grand Prix on qualifying day. It would be sorted. I'd be happy. And um, But yeah, I mean, I would love to see them do well this weekend. Yeah, and if he does qualify well, uh, you know, obviously it's it is very difficult to pass. Maybe will we see some points uh, for the Williams team this weekend? How about you, Sponge? Would you, do you are you hoping for a, a single point for George Russell or Latifi? I think I think I think if the points are going to come, it's going to be George Russell. And I I think each weekend I keep kind of this this sense of this is going to be the weekend. Mm-hmm. I keep it keeps building, and then. It doesn't. It doesn't come to pass. But yeah, I'm confident. I, I think you know, if if there's a bit of a a, a to do mm-hmm. ahead of them, I think they could capitalise on it. I'm just having a quick look at the weather, in the hope that there might be a downpour on Saturday or Sunday to just like shake things up. But I don't think that's. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. So, I think it'll be difficult. Um, they're going to need a lot of favours in front of them, but mm-hmm. fingers crossed. I always keep my fingers crossed for them because I'm the same as you. I do have a, a, a quite a big soft spot for them. Okay, I don't want to move on from Williams just yet because I, I want to hear Ed's opinion on them. Obviously, they have such a storied past uh, and it's a, a, a great big number to uh, to achieve uh, 750 races uh, to, under their belt. Uh, what, have, what have you got to say about the Williams team? Yeah, remarkable staying power, you'd have to say, particularly in the in the past few years prior to the, the takeover. Obviously, they're back on the way up again, but they're very much in the, the, the very shallow start of that, uh, yeah. uh, of that recovery. So the car is a little bit better than last year. Qualifying tends to be a strength, primarily because George Russell's very, very good at extracting the, the performance from it. 
and in steady conditions. When it's mm-hmm. not too windy, it tends to work reasonably well. George Russell was really happy with the car in the Spanish Grand Prix itself. Other races have been a little bit tougher. He was happy with it in Imola before what happened with Bottas, Bahrain and uh, and Portugal. Not very happy with it because it was a little bit, uh, little bit windier. So... Mm. I think for Russell, it's going to be a question of if he can qualify well, at least get it into get it into Q2. If he can start it around 13th, 12th, and even just hold position, mm. you've got a good chance at Monaco there'll be a few mishaps up front. And then it's just a question of making sure you get the strategy calls right and uh, and don't lose ground in, ground in terms of track position. And if you're a little bit further back, you can maybe take a gamble. So got a chance there, obviously. Russell is a very high quality driver. Yeah. Uh, he's had a few misfortunes in races, some some of his own making, but a driver with a huge amount of ability as he showed when he got in the Mercedes last year. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He's he's certainly one for the future. We we don't know whether he's going to be the next big British driver because um, there's a couple of us in the uh, in the team that think maybe Lando might even sneak in that 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 number one kind of British driver spot. Um, but certainly there's a great competition between the two um, in the future that we're looking forward to. Okay, so moving on to the Alphas then, the Alfa Romeo. Um, Giovinazzi has been pretty kind of uh, anonymous this year, hasn't he, Sasha? But, uh, you know, Kimi Raikkonen might have a dip on his, uh, on his yacht at some point. What, what do you think? What, what do you think Alfa Romeo are going to get up to this weekend? Um, I think that um, Antonio has had a fairly decent start to the season but because he's in a car that's you know not sought after and no one really pays attention to it it goes unseen mm. i think he has the potential if the car they could get the strategy right or if there was not you know some issues with the car he could be pushing a lot further up the grid um as for kimmy he just gets his head down and gets on with it and if something goes wrong he tries to win it back and if he doesn't he's not really bothered either way um but mm. yeah, I, I think um, I would love to see Antonio do well um, and get a bit more recognition, to be honest. Yeah, so that's probably me then, not not paying attention to him. So uh, I'm probably uh, too busy concentrating on the front 10. Uh, but yeah, uh, Sponge, have you got anything to say about Kimi Raikkonen? Yeah, obviously, he's the, the veteran here. Is he going to make a mark this time uh, in uh, Monaco? No, I don't think so. I think, I think we kind of... We went through it last time we spoke about him. I don't think he's. I don't think he's going to change. I don't think he he has changed in the last few seasons. He's there until people tell him that they don't want him there. <laughs> um, he's got his family there now, and you know he's like, um, you know, understandably he's like, you know, the, the risks that he used to take when he was younger, he doesn't take them anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't take anything on the radio. He's like, you know, I'm I'm in my car. I'm having a Sunday drive. <laughs> if you don't want me to do it anymore, then I won't do it anymore. But you know, if you want to keep on paying me, then I'll do it. It's fine, no problem. But yeah, he's a, no no frills. He's acting me, isn't he? He is a no frills person. Um, but do you agree with uh, his sentiment, Ed? Uh, James's sentiment about Kimi? Uh, I think yeah, Kimi. He's he's pretty decent in the races. He does lack that edge of speed. I, I do tend to think that if we're going to see something particularly special from Alfa Romeo, it's more likely to come from Giovinazzi. I'm inclined to agree with uh, with Sasha on on Giovinazzi's performance. He's he's the guy this year who, if something goes wrong, it goes wrong. He's had uh, tear offs in brake ducts. He's had a pit stop where the team has <laughs> has tried and had to abort fitting a deflated tire <laughs> to the car. Yeah, he's he's had all sorts of problems. He had a pit stop problem in Bahrain. So. 
I feel Giovinazzi's got a little bit of pace uh, in, in his hand, but then again, Raikkonen is pretty strong around uh, Monaco, so it's perhaps a place where his experience mm-hmm. comes through. It's it's one of those cars, Alpha, that it, it's not very. It doesn't have so many peaks or troughs. It just sort of rumbles around where it is, which mm-hmm. is good in some ways, but it also means it doesn't get the, the sort of the, the 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 upswings that you see from a from a Williams, should we say? So you quite often yeah. see them ending up eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth at the end of races, and often that's about par for the for the car. So. And I'll probably keep saying this, but it's going to come down to qualifying ultimately. Giovinazzi has been the better qualifier. He's been ahead three times this year. Mm-hmm. Might well have been ahead in Imola as well had Mazepin not uh, made his move on him at the start yeah. of the final uh, Q1 lap. So, yeah, that, I wouldn't necessarily uh, bet the farm on them, but I think if it's if it's going to be something special in terms of really quick qualifying performance, it'd be a Giovinazzi. But I'm not. This is one of those ones where Kimi's experience could come through. So I've done some spectacular bet hedging there. You you could say. <laughs> you have indeed uh okay well let's move on to the next team uh it's difficult to kind of choose the next team uh is it is it alpine or is it um the alpha tari uh that, that that's kind of next in the in the in the season at the moment um let's 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 I'm go i'm gonna shout alpha tari yeah, okay let's let's go for alpha tari then let's let's talk about alpha tari i'll go, and I'll go to you sponge um what are your opinions on alpha, alpha tari's chance this weekend I don't. I, I've not been very impressed with them, if I'm com- completely honest with you. I think um, they they showed a lot of pre-season promise, mm-hmm. and I mean, you know, Crofty and uh, Ted Kravitz are going on. You know, they they were like these are going to be the best of the rest. There's a real good chance that they these could nick third, mm-hmm. and I've not really seen anything that kind of backs it up at the moment. I mean, they've they've got. They've got the driver in Gasly. Yeah. You, you know that for a fact. We've we've already seen that. They've, they've got the driver in Gasly. But with Sonoda, I, th- I think he's trying a little bit too hard at the moment. I think he just needs to take a step back, listen to um, listen to those around him, take a little bit of advice. Mm-hmm. Um, basically do the opposite of what Mazepin's doing <laughs> and, you know, try and improve himself a little bit. Um, he's, he's done really well. You know, in, in some of the some of the races so far, in terms of you know he's he, he's he's gone in, he's he's been bold. You know, he's done a lot of overtaking, but I think I think he's kind of um, he's kind of wound himself up a little bit from them performances, mm-hmm. and he's like, right, I've got to I've got to carry this on. I've got to go for these gaps. I've got to go for this, and he's like, just just take a step back and just go go forward step by step. You know, just. Now listen to listen to the advice you, and you'll you'll get there. But do you think he was a bit kind of taken? Obviously, he, the first race he did amazingly. Everyone was like, "Wow, he's so good." Yeah. Uh, do you think he started to believe his hype too soon, and uh, maybe he, he needs that kind of knock back a little bit? Um, yeah, uh, that's then... what I say. Is I think he's got a little bit too excited too soon. He, don't don't get me wrong. He he's a real talent. Mm-hmm. Um, he he just needs to take a little bit of take a bit of stock and and you know. Um, just focus just, on the just driving. Take take the advice and and work on his all round driving. You know, he's he doesn't have to be. He, he he's trying to be a Gilles Villeneuve at the moment. He needs to be more like an Alan Prost. That's what he needs to do. You know, he's, um. So yeah, but I mean the t- the team in general. I don't know whether they're still trying to get used to the cars or whether they're they're you know there's something not quite right. Um, you know they they had a bit of bad luck the first couple of races. Um, they've not really looked like kicking on too much since then either. So um, I think, you know, th- this last season does expose teams that don't necessarily kick on too much 
um, you know, you, you can go from the from the midfield right up to the you know the, the best of the rest mm-hmm. in in quite a short jump at the moment. Alpine are proving that they've they've got to get you know grips with their car quite quickly. They, they struggled in the first couple of races, but they're they're going from strength to strength. And I think teams like Alpha Tauri, they 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 were there. They had some bad luck, but they've not carried on. They've not kicked on forward, and they're kind of being left behind a little bit now. So mm. it'll be interesting. I think they're I think they're just a bit of a they're, they're more of a question at the moment than being able to give you an answer. It's like you know what are they going to do? I I don't know. They could go either way. They could, they could carry on going for, forward. Uh, sorry, backwards, or they could. They could all of a sudden everything could click and they could they could go to where everybody was kind of predicting that they would be. So yeah, it's just a case of wait and see. I think. I saw you nodding your head, Ed. Uh, do you, so you're in agreement agreement with Sponge for a, a bit of that, or uh, what? What do you what do you think about the car? Yeah, well, the car looked really really good early on. It looked absolutely beautiful on track, really well poised and well balanced. But I think what we've seen over the last couple of weekends is that probably Bahrain and Emila were two circuits that that flattered the car historically, actually. So if you look at last year, mm. uh, the Alpha Tauri went well there as well. So perhaps we're seeing a little bit more the real level because they look right up there in that group with Ferrari and McLaren in the first two races. And then mm-hmm. they've, they've slipped back. And of course, they failed to capitalise in Bahrain. Gasly made the mistake, hit the back of Ricardo, which ruined his race. And uh, at Imola, they made the slightly curious call to start on wet. So they tried to back out of it. Mm. and get onto intermediates but it was uh, it was too late by the time they they tried to do it so you know they wasted their chances the first two races and then it's getting harder now so they, they've left quite a few points on the on the table i'm not sure monaco is going to be great though because the car's not not particularly strong in the in the slower speed stuff so i don't think this is going to be a a great weekend for them they need gasly to pull something out of the bag in qualifying which he's he's capable of yeah but I don't think they're going to be troubling Ferrari at the front of the midfield. Mm. Alpine should be strong, McLaren. So it's it's going to be a, a big fight just to get a few points there. Yeah, you you may be right. Um, let's let's go talk about Alpine then. I'll leave this one to you, Sasha. Alpine have been getting stronger as the season's been going on. Um, obviously, they started very slowly. Uh, the car wasn't kind of anything where. Uh, Alonso wanted it to be, and Ocon obviously all, all had complaints about it. Um, but it seems to be uh, they've had a couple of races now where, they, where they've come out after the race and they've said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of going where I want it to go, and it's 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 sticking around the corners a bit more." And uh, you know, what what are your what's your opinion on the Alpine team? For sure, I think at the start of the season, everyone thought, "Oh, this car's beautiful. Let's see what it's got in it." And after watching it for about a lap, I was like, "Okay, I'm bored. Like they're not doing anything special here." <laughs> Um, but definitely the last race weekend, um, seeing them on track battles and stuff was great. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that they've got a good pairing with Esteban Ocon and, um, Fernando Alonso, as you guys have spoken about, some drivers have more experience, obviously going around Monaco. So hopefully if the car can play, then Alonso could maybe pull something out of the bag. And I think I have a bit of a soft spot for Esteban Ocon, but I think he could pull something out of the bag. He's a bit of a dark horse really. So, um, like you said, it's just a waiting game with Monaco. You just don't know until uh, qualifying. So, A crucial time is Saturday, uh, and we will be watching uh, eagerly to see what happens. Um, okay, let's move forward then, down, down well, further towards the front. Um, is that Ferrari next, Sponge? Obviously, your, your dad's a massive Ferrari fan, so you, are this, you give him a bit of grief about his uh, support, supporting the Ferrari teams. Uh, do, you, do you think they're yeah, going to do well in the Monaco Grand Prix this weekend? I think so. 
I, I mean, there's nothing to suggest why not, really. They're, they're there or thereabouts, aren't they? They've they've really made a good stride back back towards the front. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Carlos has, you know, he, he's he's um, fitted in really really well into the into the car. Um, he's pushing Leclerc quite clearly, mm-hmm. um, but they seem to be working really well together. There doesn't seem to be much coming from Ferrari at all, though. Really, I mean, you know, you know, when we had when we had Carlos and Lando, obviously, you know, we had laugh a minute kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you hear quite a bit about you know most of the other drivers, but then when it comes to Ferrari, there, there kind of seems to be a a bit of a wall up at the moment again with, I mean, Benotto had been working towards, you know, getting a bit, a little bit more interaction with the, the fans and the community, but it just seems to be that they're, they're just kind of like doing their own thing. And I think that's a good thing. I think Ferrari do need to just do their own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, use your resources. You've got one of the biggest resources in the sport, use your resources and, and use them properly yeah. for once, please <laughs> do something, yeah. make the sport interesting. Again, you've got the money to do it. Now use it properly, please. <laughs> if not for anyone else, but your dad uh, sitting next to you on race day. <laughs> yeah. Cause he seems to be getting a lot of jip from me lately. You know, <laughs> yeah, Silly red cars, but there we go. <laughs> How about you, Ed? Uh, the, the red cars this year—they are—they came out and they—they they were much better than pr- the last year. Um, are, are they going to advance? Uh, are they going to perform well in Monaco this weekend? Yeah, they—they they should do. I'd probably say if I was pushed to, they should be the best of the midfield cars. That's always a dangerous thing to to say, <laughs> particularly with McLaren there and Alpine uh, yeah. pushing them as they've been in, in recent races. But the Ferrari has been the quickest car in qualifying in all four weekend so far of the midfield pack excluding Mercedes and Red Bull mm-hmm. uh, of course uh, Sainz has had some good performances in Monaco in the past Charles Leclerc actually has never it's never quite come together for him in, in Monaco he's never scored a point there so he'll be keen to uh, mm. to put that right so you feel like if everyone gets 100% out of their car it looks like Ferrari should be in in the best shape of the midfielders uh, mm. at Monaco and that's where they need to be because they were never going to be bothering the top two unless either of those two massively massively dropped the ball so it's probably the reason why they're being quite quiet they, they're kind of doing okay doing about what they need to do mm-hmm. but because they were so poor last year and that limited what they could expect to achieve this year they're kind of getting up to a to an okay level so really what matters is what's going on behind the scenes on the on the 22 car but yeah they'll want to pick up the odd podium here or there and uh, and there's quite a good battle brewing for for third in the constructors with McLaren. There is, uh, and that actually reminds me, we we completely missed, or I completely missed out Aston Martin. Um, now I don't know whether that's a that was a kind of a Freudian slip uh, that we missed them um, because they've been pretty anonymous this season uh, themselves. Um, Sasha, Aston Martin, uh, what's happening to them? Why aren't they up front where they're supposed to be? Uh, and, and is is the high rake uh, issue that they've got? Or lack of high rake. I can't remember which way it is now. Um, is that the is that issue going to be a, a massive thing uh, in such a track as as Monaco this weekend? I mean, I've, I'm just let down by them to be honest. I think we were all kind of expecting them to come out and be like, <laughs> "Wow, because," and it's just not there. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I can't comment. I'm not in the team. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but it just doesn't seem to be kind of mm-hmm. sticking. Like nothing is kind of working for them. Um, I don't know whether this is the rake issue or not, but I don't think at Monaco they're going to do anything special, to be honest with you. I think they'll probably, if they're lucky, be 
13th, 14th, around about there. Um, but that's my bets. I mean, I don't know. I guess, like you said, we'll wait and see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ed, have you, have you got any kind of inside information from Aston Martin? It, it, <laughs> Lawrence Stroll is complaining, obviously, considerably about this rake thing. But um, Mercedes have just gone on with it and they, they've clearly found the pace. So is it all about the rake or is there a fundamental flaw with that car? Uh, well, it's it's never it's never one single thing, but I think it, I think there's reasonable evidence to say that the that it has gone against the low rate cars. Mercedes lost a chunk, but obviously they had a chunk in hand, so yeah. that made it a little bit uh, easier for them. But that happens. Rules change, performance sensitivities change. You know, this this can happen. So mm-hmm. I think they'll be better off putting that because they're not going to get the rules change. And even if even no. if they did somehow get the rules changed it'd be madness for them to redo their car when they need to be making their 22 car yeah. uh, development work so i think there just needs to be an acceptance that this is what it is keep chipping away do what you can with it it's very very much a, a q2 car you know slipping into q3 on a on a good day when a few others have problems yeah. kind of level and that's just their their new reality the positive thing is because there's the the rules reset next year it, this this can just be a one-off and i think Particularly, Lawrence Stroll probably needs to accept that's the case and just let the team get on with doing, doing what they're doing. There's always things you can do to make the make the car better, but at the same time, you know, this is going to be a downforce track, so mm. you'd expect the high rate cars should go well there, provided you've got a well balanced car that's working. Mm-hmm. It, it'll be a little, it'll be a good little indicator of of how good the feel of the car is for the drivers because it is a, a confident circuit and one where if you've got it well balanced you can carry the speed through the corners mm-hmm. you know flirt with disaster uh with the with the barriers you can you can overachieve but uh-huh. yeah i don't think there's too much to be getting excited about with them it's, it's going to be a it's going to be a long hard season for for that team but on the positive side it is just a one-off season and that's that's the thing they need to focus on yes they do um and, and as you say, next year's car, hopefully they'll they'll be further up the field. Um, they're certainly not where we were expecting them uh, and battling it out with the McLaren team um, like they were last year. Um, but let's move on to McLaren then. Uh, Sponge, you're a, you're a McLaren fan like myself. So McLaren are sporting a very special livery this weekend, uh, a livery that we haven't seen on a McLaren since it was in Le Mans in 97, where it came second. Uh, what do you think about that, Sponge? I think it's really nice. It's a, I'm actually quite disappointed that it's only going to be a one-off. I'm quite gutted about that. It's a I thought, beautiful library. Really, really nice. Yeah, it's it's one of them where when when they bought Papaya back, I was like, that's it, right? Just keep it like that now. Do not change it. I, I'm happy with that. That's fine. And I was like, I, I really hope they never change. And now they've come with this golf one. I'm like, right, okay, I want them to change now. I want them to, <laughs> to use this like forever. Just never change from that. I, I just think... I think it's beautiful without actually having golf all over it. Yeah. It's like they've got the golf livery without the golf. And it's like, I, I know that sounds daft, but it's just beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, I, 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 I really, really like it. I just hope the performance this weekend does it justice. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit shaky about if I'm completely honest with you. Okay. I think, this season, I think they've struggled for a little bit of pace in qualifying, and obviously, we know qualifying is absolutely everything at Monaco. So, um, I, I think it'll be a bit difficult. Um, I really hope. I'm hoping for a podium, but I think that's stretching it a little bit too far. Okay. We'll see. I'm I'm, I'm going to hold my neck out for a, for a podium. Okay, Ed. Do you did, did you did you get invited to the uh, the McLaren kind of secret press event that they had last week? 
yeah, I was lucky enough to to go along to that, so I did get to see the car up close. It does look great. I was just really pleased that it was the whole car and not just like some little a rear wing or just one little bit of the car. Yeah, as uh, a golf, they've gone the the whole the whole hog with it, and it's yeah, it's great because it's an iconic livery. So I think that'll look look really good on track. Yeah, as to whether it can be one of their stronger weekends, it is going to be. It is going to be fairly tough. I think it's a good point. Their qualifying has been a little bit disappointing this year, but it's a strange one because it's just a series of different reasons that they've underachieved for. Obviously, Norris has generally been the spearhead so far this year. Ricardo's improving, and actually, if you look at the way the Spanish Grand Prix weekend went, I think mm-hmm. although Lando Norris was fundamentally a little quicker, I think if they'd both had straightforward qualifyings, the gap would have been pretty small. You might have seen Norris say a tenth ahead mm. or so rather than uh, a big gap. So Ricardo's getting there, former Monaco Grand Prix winner, of course. So yeah, that they need to they need to qualify strongly because they can't rely on doing what they've done in previous races and making up ground. It was a little bit harder to do it. In Spain, although Ricardo got pretty much what he needed to out of it, the Ferrari was quicker in the Spanish Grand Prix uh, in the race as well as qualifying. So they they weren't going to be beating uh, beating Charles Leclerc there. So yeah, I think yeah a podium might be a big ask, but again, you never know at Monaco. Get yourself yeah. up there. If Ricardo can do a Monaco special or Norris, who's a very high quality driver, can pull something out of the bag, then you set yourself up to to pick up the pieces if others uh, if others falter and if you can't get ahead of a, a Red Bull or a Mercedes then it's uh, it's easier to stay there here than at any other circuit yes uh, Sasha we've got two great drivers uh, at McLaren obviously as Ed has just said Lando's is probably outperforming uh, well definitely outperforming uh, Ricciardo at the moment uh, although Ricciardo is is kind of slowly getting to grips with the car have you got anything to add about the McLaren team and their chances over the weekend I think that um Ricardo's definitely getting more used to the car. I don't think his confidence is quite yet, there yet to push it around the circuit like he would have done with the Red Bull, for example. Um, mm-hmm. Lando, I think if everything goes right for Monquali Day, he could be up there. But with the car, sometimes, I don't know, if, like you said, qualifying doesn't really hit all the right sweet spots. So mm-hmm. potentially they could do well, but I personally just don't think this weekend is going to be a podium for them um sadly sadly guys um but I think with the way that the team works um and how well Ricardo's kind of settled in it does definitely show that you know McLaren are doing all the right things to get them as far up the grid as they can um mm-hmm. so fingers crossed but don't know. fingers crossed but you're yes. you've, you've got realistic and expectations from there I don't want to uh, get my hopes up <laughs> okay <laughs> that's fair enough that's fair enough Okay, well, let's talk about the top two teams. Uh, it's it's very hard to say, very difficult to kind of say. I want to speak to speak about uh, Mercedes next, really, but because I wanted Red Bull to be stronger this year, um, even though I support kind of the British uh, drivers and teams, and obviously it's a German team, but you know they are based in Britain. Um, but we're going to have to talk about Red Bull first because they are behind the Mercedes team. So. James uh, Sponge, sorry. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what's what's going on with Red Bull this uh, this weekend? Do you think they're gonna they're gonna want they're definitely gonna want to come out strong, um, but are they gonna man- be able to manage it? Uh, historically, they've not had the greatest of records at Monaco, have they? In terms of strategy calls and cocking pit stops up for Ricardo and whatever. But um, I think I think especially with last the last race mm-hmm. and the way that, that Mercedes kind of duped them in the, in the pit stops, 
they're going to be all out to try and, you know, come back at them this weekend. I think they're really going to be like, you know, all out to, to, uh, you know, fastest in practice, fastest in qualifying, mm-hmm. get the get the win sewn up. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a, a a prediction right now, but this will be the weekend that we see the fireworks start between Max and Lewis. Okay. You... I think they've 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 both proved that they don't want to give an inch so far, mm-hmm. and they've both kind of stayed within them them kind of lines of you know this is what's acceptable. Uh-huh. But they've they've both had a little bit of uh, they've had somewhere to go when the other ones shut them out. They've had somewhere to go at Monaco. You have nowhere to go whatsoever, and if you leave your car in somewhere that they're you know they're, they're not going to let you go, mm-hmm. then. And someone's going to come. I off. think this could be the weekend. Okay, that well, we've been saying this all 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 year so far that we are, are expecting some fireworks between uh, Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. Do you agree, Ed, that it might be this weekend that we get to see that? It certainly could be. There's going to be a irresistible force, a movable object moment eventually, yeah. isn't there? And yeah. if they try to do it here, then yeah, there's very little room to, uh, to to get away with it. So we've seen four battles between them on track in four races so far. So they're going to be in each other's vicinity uh, in mm. Monaco. And of course, last time we had a Monaco Grand Prix, they did have a bit of a battle. There was a bit of contact near the end when Verstappen launched that move. So there's a bit of history there as well. So it's, it's, it's going to be close. I think the great thing is that it, it's it's really small margins are making a difference in that, yeah, Mercedes have, have won three, Red Bull have won one. Mm-hmm. Spain was was Red, was Mercedes territory. Bahrain was Red Bull territory. Mm. Imola and Portugal with a few little twists of fate, one way or the other, could have gone the other way to the way they, they did go, which is yeah. the, the great thing this season. And, and Monaco on paper uh, should be Red Bull territory but because it's so close and it's just these little little things that make the difference down to the drivers nailing it track conditions what the mm-hmm. what the weather's like all these things and the decisions that are made strategically anything can make a difference and cause the swing between the two which is why this season's so so great so yeah while Mercedes overall have done the better job I think it's still it's still close it's within those sort of error bars of the swings of uh, of what goes on which is which is great so who do, who do you think is going to perform best out of the Red Bulls? End? Is, it going to be, is it clearly going to be Max or is, uh, is Checo going to have a good weekend this weekend, do you think? I think Checo should have a... He's, he's got a good chance of having his, his best weekend in a Red Bull so far. Uh-huh. I'd still be putting my money on, on Verstappen because he's going to be your guy in qualifying. Mm. And Perez, you know, he's a perfectly capable qualifier, but he's not, he's not a superstar in qualifying. He, he is the, uh, the man for the, for, the, for the race. Yeah. But he could have a, a, a strong weekend. But yeah, I think Max will be the driver I'd be putting my money on. He wants a Monaco Grand Prix win, but of course he's had a shot at that in the past and he, and he messed it up with, his, uh, with his, his crash in FP3 a few years ago that yeah. uh, left it for, for Ricardo to win. So again, you've got a driver who, uh, who hasn't conquered Monaco, should we say. So... Yeah, interesting. Perez does fancy his chances, though. He seems to be... He's gradually getting more at one with the car, so he's got a chance. He's, he's had some success at Monaco in the past, so mm-hmm. he'll he'll at least be hoping to, to get that podium. Yes, absolutely. And, and he needs to, really, and they need to kind of take it to the Mercedes, and they really need to kind of stamp their authority on the, on the weekend uh, and take home maximum points, because, you know, the, this championship, as you say, it's, it's, it's close, but Mercedes are doing... Uh, their absolute best to make sure that they are kind of eking themselves ahead uh, of the Red Bull team. 
Let's talk about the Mercedes team then. Uh, you're you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, aren't you, Sasha? Uh, so are you hoping to see him on the top step this weekend, or or do you want the competition to kind of go on further and 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 see some nice close battles between them and the Red Bull team? I feel like I shouldn't say this on the podcast because then everyone will know that I want Lewis to come second in quality so that we can see him trying to overtake Max. I just think as a fan of the sport, that's so much more fun and exciting to watch. And if Lewis, obviously he is the greatest of all time, in my opinion, um, but if he is as great as everyone (laughs) is saying, (laughs) then he, he should be able to get past Max. And I think what better chance to show off your skills and, you know, kind of say to everyone, you know, look, I can do it. And, you need to give me more credit than to do it at Monaco. Um, I would love for this battle to go on for more than like for the rest of the season. Um, the yeah. last time we had this close battle w- was with um, Vettel in 2017, I think. And that went mm-hmm. on maybe until mid-season after the um, summer break. It just wasn't there anymore and Mercedes ran just away with it. Off, yeah. So I think the longer this battle can go on, the better. So as much as I love Lewis, I would love to see Max go for it this weekend. There you go. That's the same bite. We're going to record that and then we're going to send it to uh, Lewis Hamilton and say, your number one fan has... uh, Oh, we won't. Don't worry. (laughs) Uh, uh, Sponge, uh, let's let's go to you about Mercedes. Do you think... uh, What about their their second driver? Um, I shouldn't call him a second driver because he won't like being called a second driver, but he quite clearly at the moment is performing like a second driver. Um, You're right. We should call him their 10th driver. (laughs) So what? he's he's I don't know I said it before a couple a couple of podcasts ago I don't I don't know what's happened with Bottas this season I really don't um, I think he was daft in what he did on the last race trying to hold Lewis up um, I, I I I really don't know where the pace that he did have I don't know where it's gone I don't know whether it's just completely knocked his confidence um, I, I I don't know he's 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 kind of I mean, if, if this was a Red Bull, uh-huh. he he would be like, you know, the media would be going crazy. It's like, as, how long has he got left? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether whether that's rightly because he needs replacing or whether that's just because the, the media are used to Matashit's pulling the trigger. And, you know, I, I don't know. But I, I do I do think he, he really, really needs to up his game. He really does. Otherwise, he's, you know he's not going to have any hope of extending that contract and they are going to be looking elsewhere, I think, because he's not backing Lewis up at the end of the day. He's not, you know, he's if he's getting in Lewis's way and they're going for race wins, um, I think that's when you start putting yourself in a bit of a, a sticky position then, really. Yeah, I don't. I didn't see Lewis Hamilton uh, complaining that he got held up, though. To be fair, um, so I he think... didn't need to. He won. He won the race, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. But the fact of the matter is, he still held him up. Mm. And you know, it's it's like if that happens too many times, and then it does start costing them points, or it starts costing them win race uh, race wins, mm-hmm. then. You know, it's it, it's all brewing now. That's what I'm saying. You know, it might not it might not have mattered right now, but. It'll be there in Lewis's mind. Obviously, it's there in Bottas's mind. Toto will be going, "Cross, what's going to happen next time?" Like you know. So, you know, will it end up with an, another little bit of a, a Nico problem kind of thing? Or mm. I don't know. But I think he really, really needs to pull his socks up. I think is the the message. Really, he's he's got to start. That's he's got to start getting forward and performing. I mean, again, though, we've said this before. Does this not just show you how good Lewis Hamilton is? Well, it does. If yeah. Bottas can't keep up in the best car on the grid, then you know Lewis is is out there on his own. 
does it not show you just how good Lewis is? It does. It does. And uh, as I say, we're, we're hoping that it's a, a close battle between Max and Lewis. Um, but have you got any inside information on Bottas, uh, Ed? Uh, what, what's, what's been your kind of feel for, for Bottas this year? He just hasn't been performing to the level that he had previous seasons. You know, previously he's come out all guns blazing, start, start of the season, performed really well and pushed Lewis as much as he possibly could. This year, it's a bit lacklustre. Yeah, certainly what he's tried to do. Um, it yeah. hasn't quite worked out. I think there have been a few weekends which have played to his weaknesses. He's not the most adaptable driver in race conditions. Mm. Not the best at tyre management. Lewis Hamilton's very good at this. So you get races like Bahrain and, and Portugal that aren't great. Bottas territory. Imola was struggling with uh, with tyre warm-up. Both mm-hmm. the Mercedes drivers were, but Hamilton dealt with it better. And that was what actually left him vulnerable to that Russell attack that obviously mm-hmm. went uh, went wrong for, for both of them. Yeah, and then that moment in Spain was a bit was a bit needless because it, it did cost it did cost Hamilton some time and it allowed uh, Verstappen to pull a few tenths on on Hamilton and that way Hamilton would have taken a big chunk of time out of him. So yeah, there was kind of a small, if utterly futile, point being made uh, there. I think the fundamental problem is, as, as has been alluded to, he's not the first driver to end up as teammate to a, an absolute great driver. Yeah. And very, very good drivers can be made to look very ordinary by by these drivers. That there's not that many of them around. But if you if you're up against a Hamilton or a Senna or a Schumacher, or, you know that the list the list goes on. Mm-hmm. You are going to struggle. He's there have been moments where he's kind of partly done the number two job reasonably well. He's at least been there, which Perez hasn't a great deal. Yeah, and that was significant in Spain because Perez really needed to be up there at least in Hamilton's pit stop window. So. Mercedes had to think again about the strategy. Bottas has at least been there. But then you, you look at a race like Portugal that sums it up in that he was there and, yes, he caused a few problems for Verstappen, but ultimately he didn't beat him. So mm. it's kind of you've you've done half the job but not not the other half there. <laughs> ultimately, there's there's a general feeling that there's a the very good chance he will get replaced because they want to put Russell in the car. And I think if Hamilton was going to go on forever... Um, that they'd probably be happy with with Bottas alongside him. I'm but sure he ha- would be. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Because they do work well, and Bottas has, has supported him in, in pretty well. But obviously, they need to be thinking about the future. They've got George Russell on their books, so it's kind of the point where you have to have to put him in into the car, really. Um, and we're, just, we're, we've predicted a straight swap with uh, Williams. Do you think that's likely? I think Bottas not, will it, go back. It's not impossible because. Uh, Bottas, provided he wants to keep going, you never know. He might just say, "Well, I've tried. I've had the top drive. Mm. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk away now." But you'd think he'd probably want to carry on. And Williams is, it wouldn't be your first choice of where to go, but upwardly mm. mobile. He's been there before. It could be an interesting uh, opportunity for him, especially with the fact that because there was so much change in the driver market last year, yeah. there's not going to be a huge amount of uh, of opportunities for him. So that 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 could well happen. But Bottas, at the moment, he's the incumbent. He's just got a do his best every weekend we know how quick he can be he did show that in qualifying mm-hmm. uh, in in portugal with uh, with the pole it's just he couldn't <laughs> hold on to it in the race but there's very much the, the battle of the number ones and the battle of the number twos this year yeah. and that's the positive for bottas he has done a better job than perez but of mm-hmm. course perez has the has the the justification that he's feeling his way in a in a red bull i always think the first block of four races that's that's kind of your not completely free, but that, that's your adapt. That's your adapting time, shall we say? Yeah. So now we're at the point where we'll see those number twos become more important. And I, I think we could see a number of races this year where Bottas and Perez are 
genuinely significant in the lead battle beyond just trying to take points off off their off uh, their teammates' title rival or nab the the fastest lap point. Yes. Let me go down the vital statistics of the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, it's obviously called the Circuit de Monaco. Its length is 3.337 kilometres, total race distance of 260.286 kilometres. We're getting 78 laps this weekend, and the lap record is currently held by Max Verstappen, who, uh, who, who beat that record in 2018, and he did that in 1 minute 14.260 seconds. Let's make predictions then because uh, that's the last thing we do uh, and I, it's 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 always a bit of a fun thing let's go to Sasha first ladies first we want your first second third if you think there's going to be a DNF who do you think is going to go first uh, and then how many finishers of the race okay so I'm not going to be too bold here but I'm going to go first Hamilton second Max third mm, would love to say Charles um, wow yeah Maybe that is a bit bold. Um, DNF. <laughs> gonna say Tisonda because I think he might put it into the wall because he's trying too hard. Then okay. um, finishers. Well, let's go for like sixteen. I think the the rookies might, you know, just over overcook it a little bit. Yeah. Okay, Sponge. Same question for you. First, second, third. DNF and how many finishes? First DNF and then how many finishes? I'm going to go completely left field as I usually do. One of them's got to come off one time. So I'm going to say Perez first. I'm going to say Bottas second. And I'm going to say Lando third or Ricardo third. I'm going to say DNFs are going to be Hamilton and Verstappen because we're going to get the fireworks. I'm predicting, <laughs> hopefully, fingers crossed. And ladies and gentlemen, by the way, if we do get the, the fireworks, then next week we'll be called Monaco Madness and we'll be about eight hours of us going, whose fault was it? How many finishers then? And then what was it? Finishers, uh, let's go for 17. Okay. Uh, and to our guest as well, Ed, what do you think this weekend? First, second, third, finishers and first DNF, if there is, if there is going to be one. Well, it's quite difficult to follow that uh, that particularly spectacular prediction. So I'm I'm going to go completely <laughs> the other way. That would be a great race if we if it did happen. Yeah, I hope <laughs> if it does happen. I'm, I'm going to go the other way and just be really boring, uh, which which is my way, and go with uh, Verstappen, Hamilton. I'll go for Perez to get his first uh, first podium. Finishes 15. Let's go with that and mm. first retirement. I'm going to go for Pierre Gasly purely because AlphaTauri have had a few reliability problems and there's always a chance anyone can end up in the wall and mm -hmm. he might want to make up a few places early on given that that car's not going to be the best. That's not particularly a reflection on, uh, on his problems. Obviously, the, the obvious one to go for is going to be Mazepin, but he should be able to be sensible and cautious at the back. That's my, uh, that's my theory there. What about you, Tiller? Okay, I'm going to predict. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to go Verstappen. I'm going to go Lewis Hamilton. And then I'm going to say... Do you know, Danny Rick's performed quite well there. Uh, I'm going to say Danny Rick. Um, so, yeah. First DNF, I'm going to go for the obvious Mazza spin. Uh, and then <laughs> finish, finishers, I'm probably going to go quite low. I'm going to say like 13. I'm going to say there's going to be a few offs. 13. So we'll note those down and we'll see who gets closest and we'll, we'll announce that on the next week's show. Um that's pretty much all we need to talk about for the uh, Monaco Grand Prix. We can shift over to the news now. Anything, anything that's obviously come out this week 
uh, which hasn't really been much apart from the calendar reshuffle. Uh, we've already mentioned the, the McLaren Golf Library uh, during the, the uh, Monaco preview itself uh, and the Williams 750th Grand Prix. So yeah, all, all that we've got to talk about in the news is the calendar reshuffle. Obviously, that means uh, the Turkish Grand Prix dropped off the calendar. That mean, uh, and the, the French Grand Prix moved forward a week and then Austria is having a double header. So we're getting a Styrian Grand Prix and an Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, what were your th- what were your first thoughts when you heard about that, uh, Ed? Was was that what you were hoping for, or were you maybe hoping for a Mugello track to be imp- inputted into the uh, replacement track uh, circuit? Oh, it would be nice to see Mugello back, and I think they've got quite a few circuits in reserve because there's there's plenty of other uh, Grand Prix that that could fall off the calendar, so they're having to be mm. quite uh, quite flexible. I quite like a double header at, at the Red Bull Ring because it's a uh, it's a fun circuit. Things happen there, and I also quite like having two races back to back because it shows. But like what I was talking about earlier with those small differences, mm. in that particularly you look at Silverstone, we had slightly different weather conditions, and we had a few teams take a slightly different setup approach, and we actually had two quite different races at yeah, Silverstone, which yeah. actually shows you can take the same cars, same drivers, put them on the same track, and actually get a very different outcome, which I think is quite a nice little uh, example, which you don't normally get, of of how of how much happens on a weekend that, that influence the end, end result. It's always very tempting. So you look at what happens at the end and work backwards and think, well, that was always written. It was going to be that way. And mm-hmm. it's quite a good reminder that, it, that it's not. But yeah, tracks like Mugello and Nürburgring are still hanging around. It's a shame for Turkey because it was good to go back there. Uh, I last love Turkey. Year. I love Turkey. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're great one to go to. Um, not a particular surprise. I think as soon as it went onto the red list for the UK, it was going to be mm. uh, a problem. So a good elegant solution they're making sure that they're getting the races in and obviously there's travel problems uh in terms of getting from one track to another so they've they've decided that the the red bull ring double header is a good uh a good contingency and i think that's a i think it's a great track to uh to do it at i was a bit disappointed that they didn't put one of the sprint races in uh there because obviously you've got two weekends there it would have been a really good way of, of of actually checking it against each other having having one weekend your standard qualifying format and the race have a then have your your, your sprint qualifying um, race on the, the next weekend to to really see if it does affect uh, the race and and the kind of the results and the the spectacle of it all. Do you, do you not think would that be a a good thing for them to introduce? Or obviously it's it's maybe it's silly us talking it because they're not they're not going to actually do it now. But what 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 are your thoughts on that, Ed? Yeah, it would have been a, a great and logical idea because it would have been a, a perfect a perfect case study because you could you could try it. In the end, it's partly down to practicality in that there, there was a lot of horse trading going on about what money they could spend for these sprint races for contingency for for crashes obviously the the financial regulations the cost cap influencing yeah. it and I think it was just felt to be a little bit too complicated to make it all work which is a bit of a shame because one's due to be held at Interlagos later this year. It's hard to see the, the Brazilian Grand Prix Interlagos happening, unfortunately, because I'm, mm. I'm a big fan of the Brazilian Grand Prix, and I do I do like... I know some of my colleagues aren't a big fan of Brazil, but I do like going to uh, Brazil. So, yeah. yeah, it just seemed like a a very good idea that just just couldn't happen for various uh, fairly dull reasons. reasons. Yeah, but yeah. it but it, it would have been a, a really interesting back-to-back because I was saying, oh, you can then compare one weekend to the other, see what the impact is, and and it would differentiate the two weekends as well. Yes, absolutely. That, that was my thoughts, and that was my slight disappointment on hearing the news. How about you, Sasha? Were you happy to see uh, the Red Bull ring twice on the calendar this year now? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a good track. Um, 
I'm surprised you guys weren't more excited being McLaren fans because it suited you last year. Um, so yeah, no, no, we're, we're happy. We're happy with it. We're happy with it, but just disappointed at Turkey dropping off. That's all. Yeah. Um, but no, I think it. Um, yeah, it's it's a great racetrack. Um, but yeah, it's a bit. Sometimes when there's back-to-back races at the same place like we had last year, it's not as fun. It's not as exciting the next time. But you never know; things can crop up, and just got to wait and see what happens. That's pretty much all the news. Unless was there any news that kind of popped up in your um, that you that you see? The only other thing was the, oh. the the Lando comment. Oh yes, yes, the Lando comment. It seemed a little bit out of character, but it seems to be kind of doing the rounds a little bit now. So I don't know whether it's a little bit more than just a rumor or something that someone's made up, but it really seemed a little bit out of character for Lando, to be honest. So Leah Lando was asked if he had any sympathy for Daniel Ricciardo's uh, difficulties earlier in the season. He said, apparently, he said, and this is a quote, I, I would say no. I don't want to be mean, but I don't have sympathy. At the end of the day, it was his decision to come to McLaren. It's the decision of any driver to go to a different team, and it's up to him to do a good job. It's as simple as that. It's up to him. It's not up to me to help him or to make, or for me to make him feel better. It's his job. He will get there eventually, but I don't have sympathy for someone if they are struggling or finding it tough. That's just the way it is in life sometimes, and I'm sure other drivers are having the same thing. It does sound a bit harsh, doesn't it? But... You know, they're drivers. I don't think Daniel Ricciardo wants sympathy from Lando, does he? Ed, do you, have you heard this quote? Have you seen it at, doing the rounds? Uh, I hadn't, actually, uh, funnily enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's one of those ones... I think sometimes people say things that, that don't come across quite in, in in the cold light of day in words in quite mm. the, the way they uh, they intend it, should we, should we say. Um I mean, he was asked about sympathy, so I think probably the point he's making is that, well, it's not our job to be sympathetic. As far as I understand it, he's working well with Ricardo, so it's not like he's sort of refusing to help and say, no, you work it out. Um, I yeah. think he's probably just stating a, a reality. And ultimately, from Norris's perspective, it's his job to capitalise on the fact that he's the incumbent driver and uh, for the sake of his career, he wants to outperform Ricardo. That's, uh, that's mm. the, the strange duality, isn't it, you get in, in motorsport. And particularly Formula One, where you've got two drivers in a team, the first person you're compared against is your is your teammate. So, I think that's probably Lando saying probably pretty much what he thinks. There's, obviously, all these drivers have a little bit of edge there as well. Um, but he's probably hey, just hey. being probably just being honest, really. And that, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be sympathetic. Uh, we'll work together, but it, it, it ultimately only the driver can drive the car. They can they can collaborate, but Lando can't make Daniel Ricciardo any quicker, other than just by working normally with the, with the team. Yeah, and it could be a bit of game gamesmanship, a bit of mind games. So we, we've seen that, obviously, historically, uh, Sasha, uh, between teammates. Do you think it maybe is a bit of a, a bit of a game, gamesmanship, kind of trying to get into each other's head, trying to uh, maybe throw them off a little bit of balance so they go into a weekend uh, stronger with the edge? Um, personally, I don't think that Lando will have meant it quite how it comes off. I think he's been caught out a few times recently and been quite unlucky with the way he said things. And I guess he'll come to learn that as he progresses through the sport and has a bit more, um, you know, background knowledge on how to kind of act in front of the cameras and answering to questions correctly. But I personally, I don't think he will have meant it in a harsh way. I think it's maybe just come mm. across with the specific words that he's chosen. Um, yeah, like Ed said, it's probably he's just answering the question um, in the wrong sort of way with the wrong sort of words, and it's come across badly. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I agree with what he said. Um, 
he's not there to kind of help someone along he's there to compete against him so in the long yeah. run i think yeah okay well that's all the news that we've got have you got any kind of news that's, that's hiding that that maybe we should know ed uh that's either gonna release soon or uh can you can you share anything <laughs> well nothing specific I'm, I'm quite interested to see how the uh the flexi wing stuff plays out and that's going to be a slightly longer term thing because the the modified flexi wing tests don't come in immediately it's going to be mm. kind of middle of middle of june uh that, that they kick in so there's a little that, that there'll be a lot of talk about that in monaco and this sort of thing's always interesting because everybody is is trying to do this sort of thing to a certain extent yeah and then when uh when it flares up often often it's about red bull but sometimes it's about ferrari sometimes it's about other teams it's all part of the the kind of pantomime and, and politics it'll be interesting to see what people have to say in monaco uh, about that i'm sure we red bull will say no, we're compliant and it won't be a problem. Mercedes uh-huh. will probably say something uh, something different. So that'll be a fun little sideshow. But I'm, I'm most interested to see if there's any discernible impact on the performance patterns down the line. Mm-hmm. It's not going to turn the Red Bull from a very good race-winning car into an also-run, that's that's for sure. It's just a, another one of these small little little details that makes a difference. Have you seen the side-by-side uh, video clip? There's, there's one doing the rounds on YouTube at the moment where it's side-by-side with a, a Mercedes uh, rear wing. Um, yeah, it, yeah, you, it, it you does can move. see it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they'll all move to an extent, and the the great skill is getting it to move in a controllable way. Get it moving when you want it to, uh-huh. not too far, not with any uh, any structural problems. That's that's a very difficult thing to do because you can't you can't do it by any mechanical trickery. You can't put in springs or this kind of thing or hydraulic systems. It has to be done if you're doing it, and even then, you're technically not meant to be doing it, but. <laughs> If you can pass the load tests, that's that's the key. The interesting thing is that the FI have said they'll be looking at footage for anything anomalous. So, but then it comes down to how much is anomalous, because mm. if you look at the, the those sort of rear wing views, you'll see varying levels uh, of of flex. And like I say, they're they're all doing it. So yeah, it, it's it's part of the uh, it's part of the kind of kick about the fun in the background. And flexi wings flares up every now and again because it, it's it's always. A thing there's always ways you can gain by by doing this and, and red bull happens to be very very good at this and i don't mean that in a in a negative way it's it no. is part of the game yeah adrian newey being their their designer i'm actually in the middle of his uh, autobiography at the moment so he's uh it's quite interesting uh, looking at all these different things that do get introduced and obviously now having that kind of information about how he's actually targeted that uh, in the past, it's quite, it's quite interesting. Uh, yeah, and you, and you make an interesting point to make sure we do bring that up, and look forward to hearing all the all the pundits on Sky and Channel Four uh, having their take on it over the weekend. Okay. Do you think the prospect of the the fact that Max is so close to Lewis and that might be down to the flexi wing? Do you think that might influence the FIA to say, all right, you 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 carry on. We, we're happy with that because we're getting quite a good. Oh yeah, so yeah, we won't do anything for now. Do you think Red Bull will take a nice big envelope to the FIA? <laughs> Probably. It's all, that sort of thing is all part of the game. Not quite, <laughs> not quite that explicitly, but <laughs> it, it all it all plays a part, certainly. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we'll look we'll look forward to seeing how that kind of plays out over the next few races, then. Let's go to our interview uh, of our special guest uh, who is Ed Straw I obviously, you've obviously heard his voice uh, giving his opinions on Monaco um, Ed you've obviously been a, a journalist for a while now did you start off I, I, well you did do some racing at some point 
Um, was it the journalism that led to racing or did you do racing first and then go to journalism from that? Uh, it's very much journalism first. I was a uh, very much just a uh, an, an overweight amateur driver. That was uh, which I did as a bit of a, a sideline for fun. It was, there was never any sort of career aspirations, uh, sh- should we say? I was uh, the aspiration was always to be the journalist, but I, I enjoyed doing some club racing on the on the side when I could could make it work. Obviously, it gets once I started covering Formula One, it got a little bit harder because of the uh, the time demands and everything. So uh, yeah, unfortunately, not not so much recently. I'd like to go back to it someday, but yeah, that that was always sort of. Uh, uh, just uh, just a little bit of fun as a sideline, which was interesting to do and uh, did and it help? But... Did it help you uh, kind of put yourself in the mind frame of the drivers? And did it did it mean you kind of approach journalism uh, in a different way? It certainly has an influence. I wouldn't. I, I'm not one of these people who says you have to have done it, and it would be rather. Uh, arrogant of me to say I've done it when I'm talking about covering Formula One because obviously what I did was a. Uh, uh, incomprehensibly lower lower level but yeah it does feed into your to your kind of knowledge and understanding and if nothing else just realizing how hard it is as well <laughs> to, uh, you know even at that level the really good people are really good and then you kind of go up level by level to the point where your Lewis Hamilton's and your Max Verstappen's are absurdly good um so yeah I think it's uh I think it's influenced my my outlook and, and quite a few journalists have done bits and pieces but uh yeah everyone's got their own little special background i guess and uh and area that that, that they've done but uh, yeah i like to think it's uh i like to think it's helped and, it, and it's helped sort of craft an interest in the the kind of driving styles and that kind of thing because obviously i spent quite a lot of time trying to understand how to make myself slightly less slower uh slightly less slower <laughs> than i was uh with mixed success so that gives you kind of a very basic grounding in the in the the art of driving, should we say? So mm. maybe that makes it easier to. Well, I say I don't think you need that to appreciate it, but it just gives you a slightly different perspective. But everyone's got a got a different perspective, and that's the that's the good thing with different voices, I guess, in journalism. Everyone has a has a different view and a different kind of background to lean on. Yeah. So you okay? We'll we'll go into your journalist career then. Did you did you come straight out of university and uh, or or school or whatever and, and go? You know what? I'm going to go to water sport and and become an F1 journalist. Or did you have to start kind of small or kind of at your local kind of journalism or whatever like that? How how did it happen for you? Well, I was I was fairly fortunate. It was at a time where you could um, you can still do it, but. It was still at a time when we were just transitioning into the point where the proper journalism qualifications were starting to become not essential but really valuable, and mm-hmm. that means that many of the people who started their careers after me are far more qualified to do it than 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 I am. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I did an and I did an English uh, English and American literature degree to be precise, and yeah, my aspiration was specifically I wanted to work for for Autosport, and I thought I'd have to start in something non-specialist but um i was quite lucky just applying for some jobs randomly i applied on spec to autosport and motorsport news motorsport news at that time was also owned by haymarket which then owned uh autosport uh-huh. uh, so i did a bit of work experience in motorsport news did a bit of autosport and that became a job so quite fortunate really uh to do that and that that gave me the opportunity to to do everything right from the the ground up so i started off as editorial assistant so that's uh, very much your your bottom level but doing lots of different things national racing mm. international racing formula one edited the mag editor-in-chief so I, I i was really fortunate to be able to do so much and that also allowed me to get into kind of multimedia uh stuff as well as digital journalism 
branched out when I started. It was very much written. It was all sport was a magazine that had a yeah. uh, a sort of small website on the side as it was, but gradually that balance shifted over time, and that's that's been a, an interesting thing to uh, to live through as well. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. Obviously, you were all vying for the for the magazine. I think Glenn. It was Glenn when he, we had him on the show. Uh, he said, you know, we're all trying to get onto the uh, clambering to get onto the magazine, uh, and then clambering to get back onto the internet uh, in recent years. So I, I'm guessing you've probably gone through the same sort of progress processes uh, as Glenn in that sort of sense. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's kind of it's it's swung, hasn't it? It was very much yeah the magazine. In fact, I remember. The first time I met Glenn, he came in on work experience when I was, I think I was the editor of the national section. <laughs> so I remember him uh, uh, meeting him then. And obviously I've worked with him in autosport and still uh, at, at the race. But uh, yeah, you, um, it, the, the objective shifts. It was very much fully magazine focused. When I became editor of the magazine, which is mm-hmm. at a point when Glenn was editor of the, the web, it was very much about trying to further integrate things and, and make things work that way then i as editor-in-chief had um uh, sort of oversight of both um so yeah the, the print mag is very much a part of uh of, of the armory of Sunday Sport, and obviously print mags uh i still have a great love for, for print magazines and print publications and there are still some very good ones out there obviously Autosport's still going strong but yeah i also enjoy the way things evolve and i'd never have thought that doing podcasts and obviously we do videos with the race as well we know voiceover videos or discussion videos mm-hmm. uh, website loads of different stuff and i it's it's all the same fundamental skill set because it's all trying to understand what's going on and, and telling stories and for me i've always liked to try and understand what's happened and it's got to build the detail should we say yeah. um so that's kind of sort of even more the the sort of my sort of first love in it beyond say the news side there's some excellent news journalists yeah uh, covering f1 as well but i i really love just understanding what's going on what makes these drivers so good why did that race pan out that way what are the handling characteristics of this car that's that's what's uh, appealed to me and having so many different ways to tell those stories is actually a really positive thing because if it's a online uh, or website story you can take as much space as you need within reason although you should never take more space than you need because uh, that can be really dull i'm probably doing that with uh with my little speech at, the, at this moment no you're um, not at all but but there's there's a there's a, a, a way to to tell every story and there's also a platform to suit every kind of taste in terms of of uh, of absorbing it so it's it's come a long way from people dashing out to buy a, a print magazine every every thursday and and it's had some negative points, but overall, I think it is for the better. Um, you talked about your podcasts. Obviously, we're doing a podcast now, but you, you've got these uh, great kind of series going on at the race at the moment, haven't you? Um, where you obviously review, preview, um, preview all the races. Um, is that something you always wanted to do, uh, or is it something kind of was thrust on you by the race uh, and you've just enjoyed taking it on? No, I've, I've always liked. Well, I say I've always liked podcasts when podcasts became a thing um <laughs> which so we're only really talking a decade ago that they really starting to to build in, in popularity maybe a little bit more than that so i mean i've always liked radio but podcast is an extension of that so i listen to a lot of podcasts in auto sport we did podcasts on and off they'd sort of flare up we'd have podcast series but it it was never really consistent but there were some really good podcasts done and uh in fact hosted by the late Henry Hope Frost. Uh, we had a few uh, a few kind of autosport podcasts launch. And then uh, there was a point, it's probably about 2016, where where I started doing the autosport podcast just 
doing it rather than recording it kind of properly in a proper studio did it a little bit more portably with uh kind of our our own equipment and and at races and that kind of thing so yeah that that was something i i enjoyed doing and then it was just logical to to, to kind of keep doing it uh with the race so yeah the race f1 podcast uh, very enjoyable to do that with scott mitchell and mark hughes normally we have gary anderson on there sometimes sometimes we let glenn freeman on even um, <laughs> so yeah I, I do enjoy the podcast formats partly because it just allows me to ramble on endlessly <laughs> but it's also a good a good way to get that added depth and i think it also probably more than anything it communicates what different journalists or commentators or whatever are about should we say in yeah. the I think when you see things written down, you, obviously a well-crafted piece will communicate the point, but you get a little bit of extra character and and understand what what perspectives people are coming from because it's all about different perspectives, isn't it? That's sure. obviously everyone on this podcast has a slightly different perspective, which is why everybody has something to say that can be a little bit different and offer a little bit of different insight. So yeah, I just uh, it, it, yeah enjoy podcasting and i i crop up sometimes on the the retro podcast we do bring back v10s which i think you spoke to glenn about which is glenn's uh glenn's project he he hosts that um so yeah and, and that's why i'm always always happy to turn up on uh, on podcasts such as yours <laughs> great well we, we might tap you up again later in the season then um let's talk about your early career then when you first started uh f1 journalism um, were you kind of were you a bit kind of starstruck uh, going from being a fan to kind of being this you know journalist and actually asking these celebrities really you know, Formula One drivers questions that sort of thing? Yeah, I'm not sure about starstruck. It's it's an interesting one because I did um, obviously a number of years covering other categories with autosport, um, and I, I wouldn't at that point. Because my aspiration wasn't specifically to do F1 journalism; it was to do motorsport journalism and work for Autosport. Right. And I'd have probably, if you'd asked me in 2005, I'd have probably said, "No, I don't need to do F1. I'll do whatever <laughs> um, <laughs> indefinitely." And then, obviously, when there was an F1 opportunity came came up, I was actually trying to persuade someone else that it was a good idea for them to go to it. And I found my arguments think were actually quite persuasive. And I thought, actually, perhaps that's just something I should do. And then, because because it's quite kind of cut off F1. Mm-hmm. You're not quite sure what it's going to be like, but then I quite quickly realised it's just a it's just a big racing paddock, really. Yeah, the checks are bigger, and <laughs> there's a few areas where the egos are bigger. Although uh, I would say there's some competition for that, but ultimately <laughs> it is about racing. People are there to to compete, so it is fundamentally there's not a real difference in its core between a Formula One paddock and a and a low end club level racing right. paddock because it's still driven by that desire and that enthusiasm. Yeah, the the stakes are higher, but I've I was in, I was interested to see just sort of how similar it it was really. Um, and so yeah, I wasn't sure how I got on with it, but yeah, dropped into it and uh, it seemed to work well. And so I'm still hanging around uh, all these years later. Yeah, uh, Sasha, have you got a question for Ed today? Yeah, so you mentioned um, that you enjoyed racing yourself in the past. So my question would be, who would be your dream team? Who would be your dream teammate? And what would be your favourite race to win? Oh, that's a good question. Well, the last one's the easiest one. The the one that I've all, I, I would always, as a driver, love to win is Le Mans. Uh, Obviously not got very close to that. The closest I've got did almost win the two CV twenty four hours one year. We finished third in the end, but uh, oh, wow. probably, probably okay. should have won. Um, <laughs> but I like the the kind of teamwork aspects and the multiple drivers and that kind of thing. And 
so that that was always yeah if you sort of say you yeah you can have your fancy winning any race it would be it would be uh, uh, Le Mans. Uh, I mean in terms of I guess if you're talking about teammates the thing that always fascinates me is seeing what makes the absolute great drivers great and what makes the drivers who are sort of the second tier who are great on their day but not every day what's the difference I, I find that interesting so any kind of great driver to be up against so if uh if you could shoehorn me into a formula one car alongside lewis hamilton yeah. i would see in even more detail just how he was far and away on a completely different planet to <laughs> to what i was doing because it's, it's always interesting to see the best isn't it so and maybe if you were going to use a time machine perhaps uh perhaps someone like jackie stewart would be fascinating to see up close mm. i think he's a, a driver of immense quality yeah, um, and if you're having a debate about the greatest, he's 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 in there with Hamilton, Senna, and you know a handful of others. Clark, I'll just try and name them all there to to avoid uh, <laughs> uh, condemning people by omission. So that that would be interesting. And yeah, best team. Um, well, I'm going to go a little bit personal on this one because um, there's a team in the British Touring Car Championship, Speedworks Motorsport, uh, who I did drive for. I was there when they started it. Okay. Um, I got pole position for their first ever race, not in the BTCC, just in humble Master MX5 racing. But they're they're uh, great people. They've achieved amazing things, um, mainly after I ceased to be involved. Funnily enough, but, so, <laughs> um, yeah. So I'll always watch BTCC partly because it's very very good, but also partly to see how they're getting on because obviously they're a works Toyota team. So there's a there's a personal reason for for that one. So I've got a slightly strange thing where I'm. Winning Le Mans in a in a touring car run by Speedworks Motorsport alongside Lewis Hamilton, and Jackie Stewart. So uh, I've definitely come up with an interesting fantasy world there. That sounds like a good race. It does. <laughs> Sponge, have you got a question for Ed today? Uh, yeah. Um, so from from your your obviously your um, you know you've been kind of inside Formula One for quite a while. Um, you've been kind of, you know, alongside it. Where where do you think the, the sport stands now? I mean, you mentioned things like BTCC there. You know, I mean, the last few seasons of BTCC have been just absolute. You know, they've just been fireworks all the way through. They've been really, really good. They, you know, they they had a bit, bit of a lull, didn't they, with BTCC? But they've come back, you know, an absolute storm. Um, I mean. Where where do you think that we stand with Formula One now? Are we are we kind of like drifting from where we need to be, specifically with the access to the sport? Where you know, for example, IndyCar and other sports are really kicking on and you know making that experience really good. Um, where where do you see Formula One now, and where do you th- where do you see it going? Yeah, I think in terms of that access, there's there's always areas that can be improved. It's always difficult when you're kind of the the big show, shall we say. Um, and obviously Formula One is, is hugely popular, so it's just not practical to let people into paddocks because you'd have people um, kind of, they are working areas, shall we say. I often liken it to, you don't let people into the Man United dressing room, shall we say, for, for want of an argument. That said, that doesn't mean that you don't need to do better. And obviously Formula One, it's very expensive to go to. It's expensive even to watch if you want to subscribe to uh uh, to, to Sky in the UK or F1 TV in a, an appropriate country, which is a bit of a problem. So I think in terms of that accessibility, that's kind of the priority, finding ways to get people to be able to engage with it and not at a, a vast spend. You you want people, if there's people who want to spend money on it and can, great, mm-hmm. but you also want to get that that foundation of uh, of people who can enjoy it and, uh, and appreciate it. 
in the wider sense, I guess they do need to make the on-track product better, which they're trying to do with the 2022 rules. I think it's F1's still going to be enormously popular because yeah, BTCC, Formula E is another one, great to watch, but they aren't. They don't have that sort of same status. It's the same thing of, you know, a football match. Uh, Chertsey Town might have a spectacular game on a on a, on a weekend, but people are going to be more interested in what was happening uh, in the Manchester City game or Liverpool game or whatever. So that, there's yeah. that element as well. So. I think it's it's good to see there's there's good levels of engagement as well and drawing fans in through social media that kind of thing. Um, McLaren and Zach Brown said that the the reaction to the original golf partnership announcement last year was what directly led to the golf livery mm-hmm. because they saw fans liked it they liked the idea. Obviously, they'll be part of them thinking this will also be great promotion not just for golf but also for the other partners uh, on the car who are very clear to see. So there's a certain amount of self serving cynicism there as well, but. <laughs> It's it's good when there's that kind of thing, and obviously McLaren do things with uh, with their fan base as well, which is positive. Um, and I think also just trying to find ways to make the make the the viewing experience better, both on television, because I think you know I talked earlier about how spectacular Monaco is, and I'm very privileged because I can go and stand trackside and see it. I don't always think that the the TV coverage captures that. Mm. I, I'm not a TV coverage specialist obviously um, it's very easy to say it could be done better but I think there are ways that, that it can be improved to make it more immediate for people and also for people at the track to make it uh, more enjoyable to to be there and, and to watch of course once people in large numbers can get back into tracks so Formula One's in in quite good shape but it just needs to make sure that it's still offering what people want to see and then, and then finding ways in practical terms to to get people to engage and to understand what the drivers are about and not be held so far at arm's length. Just because you can't have people, have thousands of people flooding the paddock doesn't mean that you've got any excuse for not not trying to do things. Mm-hmm. And they do try and do uh, those sorts of things in, in the coverage, don't they? I mean, they, they get Ted walking down at the notebook at the end, kind of going down the paddock and poking his head into the uh, into the different garages and looking at tyres and all this. So they, they are trying to kind of do more things uh, on the broadcast side of things um so yeah i i i can i can see what you're saying they're, they're certainly they're doing what they can but there, there's always there's always room for more um in terms of your career have you ever had uh you ever kind of interviewed say one of your idols in the sport whether it be formula one or one of the other sports that you've that you've had a, a memorable interview with for well, the guess, positive yeah well i was a i was a damon hill fan in my younger days um as, as a teenager, so and actually quite early in my career, I got the chance to interview uh, Damon Hill. He he uh, he uh, drove on a Minardi two seater day at Donington Park. This would have been in two thousand and two. Mm-hmm. It's the test where Brian Herter drove the Minardi, uh, the regular car, as uh, as well. Funnily enough, and there are all sorts of random celebrities there. Like Chris Eubank was there, and Carol Vorderman, people like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got the chance to interview Damon Hill quite uh, quite early on, and obviously I had the chance to deal with Damon over the years. He's a very uh, interesting and insightful kind of character. Mm-hmm. Actually, he's a he's a very uh, yeah. They sort of say, I guess that you you sort of don't still have them as active heroes, but it's sort of there in the back of your mind, and it's 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 always good that when you run into these people and find that they're not terrible people or <laughs> or idiots <laughs> or whatever you know. I mean, yeah. and uh, yeah, Hill's an interesting and in. And it's an insightful person. So that was probably the 
quite early on i got i got it out of the way shall we say and it's uh it's been uh downhill since then but it's, it's always a privilege just to understand more about how these these people think mm-hmm. um and how they evolve and i've been able to see that with lewis hamilton seeing that with max verstappen now um so there's no sort of driver i i favor but i i love seeing drivers get the most from themselves to kind of live up to that potential whether yeah. their potential is as a world champion or just being kind of a good midfielder um so it's it's always a, a joy to have the chance to have that insight and understanding okay then so a controversial one now or, or, or one that might put you on the spot have you ever put your foot in it uh, and said the wrong thing in an interview or made somebody uh ups, upset somebody on the on the on the you know the interview play uh, when, when you're interviewing them don't know about upset i probably i do i do believe if if there's something very negative that a driver has to address i've never been a big fan of sort of dancing around it okay. so i've had a few sort of pull the band-aid moments off and it's just well that went that, sort of that went wrong didn't it um <laughs> should we say i can always always re- remember one where there was um a few years ago there's a story going around about about uruguayan athletes using a currency exchange scheme to uh, for various private investments which they shouldn't have done and people were speculating incorrectly uh, that pastor maldonado was involved i remember going to his session he had a little media session on thursday a few people and i thought well, i'm just gonna pile straight in on it and just ask him about it and it's basically you're asking are you a crook but he knows what's coming everyone that so you, you kind of you know you, you don't do it accusingly but you just you sort of ask the question so I can't remember specifically any moments of fury. I probably just mm-hmm. missed them. But, <laughs> but at the same time, I, I do believe if you've got to ask a direct question, if you want to understand something, you've, you've got to be willing to do that. And sometimes I've had debates with drivers about whether they did about whether they were in the wrong. Um, I've had a, f- a few debates with Sebastian, not not in a nasty way. Sebastian Vettel, really good person to deal with. We've got a lot of time for for him. We have a bit of a disagreement about who was at fault for the uh, 2017 Singapore start crash. Okay. Um, I think it was largely at his door. He he doesn't in the same way, but it's great to be able to have a civilized conversation about it, shall yeah. we say? Um, so I'm sure I've been cursed by some of them. I'm sure when I've written things or whatever, they've they've been furious. But obviously, it's a different dynamic. My job's to kind of say what I see. They'll yeah. want support, and they're the last thing they want is people criticizing their their errors or very, perhaps occasionally criticizing them unfairly. As sure, inevitably, they'll be. Um, mistakes made along the way but yeah i've never got into a into a massive fight with someone <laughs> uh, should we say but i've always believed that if 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 a driver or someone in a team or whatever has a problem certainly i'd rather go and speak to them about it and kind of discuss it should we say yeah because um, it'll never you, you you don't try and do it out of spite or anything um but no. who knows that there could be a great long list of offenses i've caused people and i was just too <laughs> insensitive and blind to to notice <laughs> well i suppose you've got to go in with your job for your job haven't you you've got to you've got to ask those questions for the people that want to read about them so in a, in essence you, you you can't be sensitive to that sort of thing i guess yeah i mean uh, and and to be honest there's not a huge amount of occasions where you have to be too aggressive aggressive or forceful mm. but you know, sometimes, if, yeah. Sometimes, if there's something very obvious and negative to ask, you just gotta, you just gotta dive in with it. Okay, so you told us that you're you're heading off to Monaco tomorrow. Um, what what what's your weekend going to look like then? Obviously, it's a bit different over in Monaco. And you 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 have your free practice on Thursday, um, and and obviously different things going on. But how 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 busy are you going to be over the weekend? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's always a strange one, Monaco, and it'll be extra strange, obviously, in in COVID times. Got the added bonus of just printing out various documentation that you need to get across the border because we'll be staying just to the west in in France. So you've got a border crossing each day, and you've got to be able to prove you've got to, you're allowed to be in Monaco <laughs> and make sure you've got all your COVID test certificates and that and that kind of thing. But yeah, Monaco is a strange one. It'll probably be a more normal one, a more normal race this year, simply because obviously paddock access is very restricted. Yeah. So there'll be more time in the in the media centre than there normally is. It's a very cramped paddock there, uh, so it's it's always a difficult one to to catch up with people and run into them because most circuits, as you see on TV, you've got a nice big wide paddock to hang around in and just have chats with uh, with people you run into. Monaco, it's a little bit harder, but yeah, it'll be a bit bit more normal. I always make sure I try and watch a few sessions from trackside, um, right? Uh, which well, there's always time to uh, to do because that's one of the things I always do on race weekends. But Monaco, yeah, it's just extra special. You can watch, obviously you watch at the swimming pool. I've watched the first lap of the race there a few times because it's it's quite easy to get back to the media centre from there. So you can watch the first 10 laps and it's it, it's absolutely amazing to be able to see 20 or however many Formula 1 cars going through there on the on the opening lap. Um, every now and again, just pop into the tunnel, just have a listen to remind myself what it's like. Try not to do that too often though. Um, <laughs> but it, it's... It's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful and improbable circuit. And it's it's the place where I guess just feel so most privileged, I guess, to be able to, to watch things. But other than that, it's a relatively normal weekend, just with that slightly curious Friday, mm. uh, Friday off in, in the way, which is obviously it's not off because you're still working, but yeah, it sort of stretches out the, the weekend curiously. But it's um, obviously it's going to be devoid of celebrities, so there'll be fewer celebrities uh, getting in the way. Um, when you're trying to get from, <laughs> from place to place, um, but uh, yeah, I mean Monaco's Monaco, and I'm sure they'll put on a good show. Whatever happens, and it sounds like there's going to be a reasonable number of fans in the grandstands, which is uh, encouraging. I'm sure there'll be loads of people clinging to the uh, clinging to the hills to get a bit of a view of it. So it'll it'll be the most normal Grand Prix we've had for well since 2019, ultimately. Yeah, uh, it'll be nice to see that that, that kind of fan kind of engagement in terms of you know even on balconies and stuff like that there'll be there'll be plenty of people there won't there um to watch it i think monaco is probably one of the only places you can't limit people going because there are so many what different ways that they can watch it um so there was never going to be restrictions there sasha have you got another question for ed yeah so you've been in the sport and around the sport for a number of years is there anything that you wish you had seen or that you've maybe missed out on that you hope to maybe see or experience in the future? That's a good question. Mm. Um, well, I guess just purely from a motorsport perspective, something I haven't seen that's that's relatively easy to see. I'd love to get to the Bathurst 1000. That's something I've, I've not had the chance to see. I've been fortunate enough to get to obviously a lot of Grand Prix, to the Macau Grand Prix, to the Indy 500. Um, so Bathurst probably top of the bucket list in, in that regard. Mm. Um, I guess in terms of slightly more slightly less prosaic thing i'd like just like to see a little bit more in formula one just a little just a little bit more championship battles should we say <laughs> uh, which i think we're getting this year um it takes a hell of a lot to win a world championship so i'm, I'm not one of those people who thinks that if you win a championship ostensibly easily easily that it's not been hard won because it takes a hell of a lot you only need to look at what valtteri bottas has been doing to see how well Lewis Hamilton has been doing, even in the years when it's uh, it's it's looking easy. But yeah, I'd like to see a few more, cover a few more of those. I've been lucky to see the the Hamilton Massa 
title fight in, in 2008 and the, and the finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2012 was another great year. The 2010 finale when four drivers went in with a chance. But, um, yeah, you kind of want to see that every year, <laughs> should we say. Yeah. So that, that's, but I, I, I'm not, not alone in that. I imagine pretty much every fan would, uh, would, would sign up for that as well. So I'm not sure that's a particularly interesting answer, but uh, uh, that, that's, that's what I'd like to see happen a bit more. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. <laughs> Sponge? Oh, yeah. Sponge, have you got another question for Ed? Uh, yeah. Um, so in terms of, you know, we've spoken about your favourite interview. If there was one person that you could interview that you've never had chance, who would it be? Oh, that's a very good idea. That's a very good one. That doesn't have to be driver, by the way. It could be anybody. Yeah. I'd be fascinated to, because I, I, I'm always interested in, I've spoken a lot about drivers, but I'm always interested in the technical side. And the, I'm not a technical expert by any means, but I try and understand it. And one of the things you'll find is a lot of the, the people who work on the technical side are quite good at explaining it and always always like it when people try and take an interest and try and understand what's uh, what's quite complex. But it, it would be fascinating to, to interview, obviously, uh, he was uh, uh, passed away long before I started in Formula 1, but Colin Chapman, I think, would be the really interesting one because there's sort of so many... There's so many myths about him, about motivations, how he balanced up the the safety of cars, that kind of thing, the innovation. So I, I think that I think he'd be really interesting to kind of dig into and try and get a, an understanding of, mm. and you get some great stories out of him as as well. So someone like that would be uh, fascinating. And yeah, often the the best interviews actually are with people like that, people like Adrian Newey, Patrick Head, mm-hmm. uh, to name a few. And actually, they don't even need to be. Um, the, the sort of superstar names a lot of these guys technical directors are just really interesting people who have very interesting insights to offer I'm lucky enough for a long time I've worked with Gary Anderson yeah. former Jordan technical director who I've learned a huge amount from and, and it's it's just hugely interesting to be able to tap up these people and, and learn from them but yeah Chapman I guess is someone who yeah, we didn't kind of have that period at the end of his career when he was able to reflect on it a great deal. So, mm. I think he'd be the he'd be the interesting one if I had a time machine to jump in and uh, and, and have a chat to. Um, it's been really great having you, and, and we would love to have you again in the future. Um, so, if you'd come along again, uh, maybe towards the end of the season to evaluate maybe a race, uh, we'd, we'd we'd love that uh, if that's something you'd be, you'd want to do in the future. Yeah, as long as your uh, listenership doesn't go too down as a result <laughs> of this one, I'll be <laughs> happy to turn up again. I can guarantee it won't. I can guarantee it won't. But thank you very much for coming to speak to us today. Uh, And I hope you enjoy the weekend in in Monaco and get some good stories. Who are you putting your money on this year? If if you've got five of your English pounds, who would you you bet would win the championship? Would it be Max Verstappen or would it be Lewis Hamilton? I think at the moment it has to be Lewis Hamilton. Um, Not purely on what's happened so far, but just he's got the experience. He's got the team. They they've been there, done that. That's mm. worth a lot in a situation like this. And he's he's raised his game so far, or at least he's risen to to meet every challenge that Verstappen has 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 thrown at him. I guess the Imola moment aside, it's it's been a very strong season. So whatever happens, he's going to take some beating. Verstappen is a fantastic driver. I've no doubt he'll be world champion in the future. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be world champion uh, many times over. But yeah, if if it stays similar with things relatively close between Mercedes and Red Bull I'll go for Hamilton but I'm hoping whatever happens it just goes down to the wire and <laughs> I'm not I'm not too bothered about who wins as long as it's uh, as long as it's interesting and as long as it's close 
absolutely. We, we've we've said that ourselves many a time. But that's it. That's all. That's all. That's all we need to ask you today. Then thank you very much for for coming on to our podcast today. Uh, we've really enjoyed you having your company and having your insight into obviously Monaco itself, um, and uh, of course your your career in journalism. <laughs> Um, that's all that's left for me to say. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in to our fans. Uh, if you want to find us online, we are everythingf1.com. We're on all social medias. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We've got a Discord server, um, and they're all at the handle at joinef1. Um, did you want to promote anything from from your side of the uh, your side of the uh, web, um, Ed? Oh, we've got to take a promotion opportunity. I guess because it's a podcast, just. Uh... On the off chance you found me vaguely interesting, um, subscribe to the Race F1 podcast. I've also got two colleagues, Scott Mitchell and uh, Mark Hughes, and sometimes Gary Anderson. You can listen to on that as well. So, yeah, we uh, we review each race and uh, cover what's going on in Formula One. So, if uh, if you'd like uh, another podcast to listen to, then you can find that where you find your podcast. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for coming to speak to us today. Thank you for to Sasha. Thank you to Sponge for being our Everything F1 team this week, and thank you very very much for myself. We will speak to you next week where hopefully we've got an interview with Claire Cottingham who also works with a race. So uh, we'll, we'll speak to you then. Bye-bye.